0: Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. Hello,
1: dear family. How are you? You are beloved and you are dear. You are God's beloved. You are created by Him and for Him. Um, And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of you. God thinks you're perfect because He made you so. Are we fallen? Yes. Do we have sin? Yes. Yes. Do we need to grow? Yes. Do we need to overcome faults? Yes. Do we need to learn to love more, to forgive more, to be more patient? Yes, yes, yes. But he loves you. You are his child if you are baptized into him, into his church. You are his child, and he loves you. And there's just simply nothing you can do about that. So tough. Nothing you can do about that. You are loved forever and ever, not because... You or I am so incredibly lovable, it is because he is a God of love. And I've said before, all you need to do to get loved is get in God's way. And I've repeated a little four-liner that I learned years ago, that he loves you just. It's actually a song, but I'm going to spare you from the music. He loves you just the way you are today. But much too much to let you stay that way. And when he's changed your life from what it was before, he still won't love you one bit more because he loves you all there is to love you today. And if you want to see, beloved, your marriage transformed into a home of love, fairy tale marriage, what you've always wished for, I would challenge you. I almost wanted to say, I dare you um, to love your spouse as God loves you. If your spouse knew, if your husband knew, dear wife, that you love him all there is to love him today, and that if he becomes Catholic, or if he shapes up his life, or if he stops being an alcoholic, or if whatever, 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 that you'll love him more, you won't love him more. He needs to know that he is perfectly loved today. And whether he changes or not, he won't be loved more. He'll be happier. He'll be able to live his vocation. Uh, the marriage will be better. The children will be Everything will be better, and he'll be free. But you love him all there is to love him today. Husbands, if your wife knew that you love her all there is to love her today, and that means that you would lay down your life for her as Christ laid down his life for the church then all her complaints about you would absolutely vanish. They would vanish. She wouldn't wonder, how come you don't help her with the dishes? How come you stay late at work every night? How come you come home and flop on the chair and read the newspapers and let her do all the cleaning and whatever it is, whatever it is, to treat her roughly whatever it is. If she knew that you loved her today and nothing she did If she lost 100 pounds, if she became a fashion model, if she, whatever if, um, you would not love her more. Because it's love that saved us, beloved. And it's love that changed us. Same thing with brothers and sisters and and children and parents. If people knew they were loved, not based on what they do, not based on their fallenness, um, their... um, faults, uh, their impossibilities, all of that. That they're not loved less because of that. You see, it'll be love. You mean you accept me as I am? Yes, I do. I love you so much. Of course I accept you as you are. But I would love to see you be better because you were created for more. You were created for glory, for uh, to be a saint. Yes, you. Yes, you. And so we would change. If you have problems in your family, problems in your marriage, problems with your children, love them, beloved. It's not a mushy, um, sentimental love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a love that gives. 1 Corinthians, if you want the definition of love, it's a verb, not a feeling. It can be a feeling. God has given us emotions, no question. But it is, first of all, a verb. It's what love does. And love is patient. Love is kind. As love does not hold, take account of a wrong suffered and all of that. Read, memorize 1 Corinthians 13. You will see what love is. And then... If you say, I already love my husband, all there is to love, but I can't change him. No, you cannot, but love can. And if you think you love him all the way now, go read and meditate on 1 Corinthians 13 and see if you match up. All right, husbands, the same thing, the same thing. Men, you're dating women. If you want to truly love them, keep your hands off them. Don't tell them you love them. Until you're ready to propose, don't do that. Don't tell them you love them apart from your being ready to make a commitment. And if you say, but I do love them, I say, keep it to yourself. It's selfish. Outside of a commitment, it's purely selfish to say that to someone, even if it's true. Because you don't fully love them. You're playing with their emotions to tell them something without commitment. Women, the same thing with a man. Don't say, I love you. Don't do it. If he proposes, you can do it then. Otherwise, keep it to yourself. And again, young men and women, look at First Corinthians 13 to see the models you should be for your future spouse. Okay, I don't know why I got into that this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit wanted you to know that. But we're going to continue with this marvelous, marvelous Uh, writing of St. Francis de Sales uh, for Lent, and we're on Temptation. Isn't that a terrific thing to be on, to start the morning with, Temptation? But it is. It's been very wonderful and very instructive, and uh, I already heard from one person that she's chosen St. Francis de Sales as her spiritual director. I would suggest that for everybody. Okay. I'm going to continue where we were yesterday, and let me see... Okay. We must keep ourselves constant and tranquil in the knowledge of the truth, of this truth, if we will not be troubled with unrealistic expectation of never committing any imperfection at all. This truth, we'd have to go back to a very large paragraph. The truth is that you're not going to achieve perfection, not this side of heaven. You're going to have to be humble and deal with your imperfections while we try to overcome them by the grace of the Holy Spirit. We try to overcome them. They We work toward them, but we don't live in scrupulosity, and we don't go into depression every time we fail again. If you go into depression when you fail, beloved, that is pride. You cannot stand it that you failed again because you think you're better or you should be better. Well, maybe in time you will, but you're not better. And when you see yourself uh, sanely, humbly, correctly as you are, you'll be at peace because you'll say, no, yeah, I know that's the way I am. And God through his grace can change that as I walk with him. Okay, let me see. Okay, we should have a strong and constant resolution never to be so cowardly as to commit any imperfection voluntarily. Now, that's a little more than cowardly. That's, I have other words for it, but I'll stick with St. Francis de Sales. But we ought also to be unshaken in this other resolution Not to be astonished or troubled at seeing that we are subject to fall into these imperfections. Even often, we must rather confide ourselves to the goodness of God, who for all that does not love us less. See, I didn't even read this ahead of you. And it's what we were talking about this morning. He does not love us less, and I I think St. Francis will probably, I don't know, remind us of the Apostle Paul who begged God to take away an infirmity of his, and God would not his whole life. God refused, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, and Paul finally got it, and he said, okay, all right, all right, then I have it, and when I'm weak, it makes me weak, but when I'm weak, then I'm strong, because when I'm weak, then I call on God for his grace, and he makes me strong, and his grace is sufficient. And this is um, a quote from somebody who might respond to St. Francis de Sales. But I shall never be capable of receiving the the divine caresses of our Lord while I am so imperfect. I shall not be able to approach him who is so sovereignly perfect, end quote. What relation, I pray you, can there be between our perfection and his, between our purity and his, since he is purity itself? How can you compare yourself to God's perfection? In short, let us for our part do what we can and remain in peace about the rest. Whether God gives us a share in his consolation or not, we must keep ourselves submissive, to his very holy will that should be the mistress and guide of our life his will should be our mistress and guide after this we have nothing to desire only his will only his will only his will beloved there's the music for our break and after the second break we'll take your calls your emails your texts and the toll free number is 1877 515483 or email at mother at the station of we will be right back.
2: The future of the family is grim. as Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle, and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year,
3: Hi, this is Jim Wright, president of the Station of the Cross. Our 2020 Spring Appeal is officially underway. Please consider a sacrificial donation to help us spread the gospel. The theme of our appeal is Changing Lives in 2020. In the coming weeks, you may receive a mailing that shows the great gifts you can receive as a Spring Appeal donor. You can also view the gifts by visiting thestationofthecross.com. Your generosity will help us develop our programming, expand our outreach efforts, and continue to grow. To support our mission, please call 1-877-711-8500, 1-877-711-8500, or go to thestationofthecross.com. Use the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or use a return envelope from one of our mailings. Your support will change lives in your community and beyond.
0: Welcome
1: back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved, and we are reading a most wonderful part, uh, well every part of St. Francis de Sales' sermons are wonderful, I tell you. Uh, we are on his sermons for Lent, we are reading um, his, actually still, his first one, and but on the subject now of temptation. No, no, it would have been his second one, his second sermon, and it's on temptation. It's truly, truly wonderful. Um... We continue now, the psalmist, as interpreted by St. Bernard, assures us that he who has faith and is armed with truth will not fear these terrors of the night. We pray that every night, Psalm uh, 90, or in uh, in the more modern translation, Psalm 91, the terrors of the night, nor the fears of the slothful. Listen to this. St. Bernard assures us that he who has faith and is armed with truth will not fear terrors of the night, nor the fears of the slothful, nor of of children, much less the fears of the weak. But he goes further and says that he will no longer fear the arrow that flies by day. And this is the fourth lesson, St. Francis says, that I take from the psalm quoted above. These arrows by day, these arrows are the vain hopes and expectations on which those feed who aspire to perfection. Do you hear that? The arrows by day are those vain hopes and expectations on which those feed who aspire to perfection. Every time you fail, it's an little arrow through you. We find those who hope for nothing so much as to be Mother Teresa of Avila very soon, and even Saints Catherine of Siena uh, and Genoa. That is good, but tell me, how long do you give yourself for this task? Three months, you reply, even less if it's possible. You do well to add if it's possible, for otherwise you would be much deceived Do not those fine hopes, notwithstanding their vanity, greatly console those who have them? But the more those hopes and expectations bring joy to the heart, while there is reason for hope, so much more does the contrary condition bring sadness to those fervent souls, not finding ourselves the saints they had hoped to be, but on the contrary, very imperfect creatures They are very often discouraged in the pursuit of the real virtue, which leads to sanctity. I just thought of a a wonderful quote by St. Francis de Sales, who says, Be yourself and be that well. You cannot aspire to be anyone else. You will fail. God didn't make you to be Mother Teresa of Avila or St. Catherine of Siena or any other saint. You could be greater than them. Who knows? Who knows? But he didn't make you to be them. He made you to be you. It's a wonderful thing to admire the, the perfections, the qualities, uh, uh, the gifts, uh, the holiness of the saints. And we can aspire to that form of holiness, but not to be them. Not to be them. And so F- St. Francis de Sales says, gently we say to them, Do not hurry on so fast. Begin to live well, according to your vocation, sweetly, simply, and humbly. Then trust in God, who will make you holy when it pleases Him. Can you believe that? God has such control that He can make me holy when He wants. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. My dear friends, he says, There are still other kinds of vain hopes, one of which is to desire continual consolation, that's vain, continual sweetness and tenderness in prayer through this mortal and fleeting life. This is surely a futile and foolish hope, hope, as though our perfection and happiness depend on that. I think of the number of people who ask, you know, I go to a holy hour and I'm dry and arid and my mind wanders and, you know, and why aren't I better and why aren't I holy and uh, why can't I have the consolations of the saints? It's vain. It's absolutely vain. We don't go to the holy hour to receive consolations, but to worship God. That's why we go, because he is worthy of our worship. And if he wishes to console us, blessed be his name. And if he wishes not to console us and not even to show his presence, blessed be his name. Whatever he does is perfect for our sanctification. St. Francis says, do you not realize that ordinarily our Lord gives these sweets only to allure and gain us over, much as one does with little children in giving them sweets. But let us go on, for we must finish. Yes, so they're a draw, especially to new Christians or new converts. There or they're a draw, but they can't remain that way if we're to grow. In discussing what this business is, which takes place in the night and of which the psalmist speaks, Saint Bernard observes that those armed with truth will not fear it. For my part, and this is the fifth lesson that I offer you, I consider that this business, which takes place in darkness, represents avarice and ambition, vices which traffic in the night, that is, in an underhanded manner and secretly. You see, ambitious people have no desire of being obvious, In their pursuit of honors, prominence, charges, or high offices, they proceed in secret, fearing to be discovered. Misers cannot sleep because they are always thinking of ways to increase their goods and fill their purses. But it is not of temporal misers that I wish to speak, St. Francis says, but of spiritual avarice. Regarding the spiritual danger of ambition... Those who seek to be promoted to high office or authority and obtain them through their pursuit of them or embrace them by their own choice, woe betide them, for they are seeking temptation. I, I'm, I'm tempted right now to say, be careful, priests, all priests, lest you seek honors, lest you seek to be named a bishop lest you seek to be known and recognized in all of that. Be careful. Because those who seek that are seeking temptation, and they will surely perish if they are not converted, and with humility make use of that which they have embraced in the spirit of vanity. Of course, I am not speaking of those who have been raised up, not by their own choice, but by but by their submission to the obedience they owe to God and to their superiors. They have nothing to fear, any more than did Joseph in the house of Potiphar. But if they are indeed in a place of temptation, they will not perish there. Wherever, wherever we may be, provided we have been led there by the Holy Spirit, as our Lord was into the desert, we shall have nothing to fear." Wherever we are, beloved, even if it's in the desert, even if it's to the devil, even if the devil is led to us, as long as we follow God in humility and obedience, we have nothing to fear, and we can assume that whatever touches us, good or bad in our eyes, was sent by God, and then we're safe. The spirituality avarice the spiritually avarice are those who can never have enough of embracing and seeking after countless exercises of piety, hoping thereby to attain perfection all that much sooner. They say, they say, they're hoping to pertain, obtain, uh, attain perfection all that sooner. They do this. As though perfection consisted in the multitude of things we do, and not in the perfection with which we do them. I have already said this very often, but it is necessary to repeat it. God has not placed perfection on the multiplicity of acts we perform to please Him, but only in the way we perform them, which is simply to do the little we do according to our vocation. In love, by love, and for love. That's St. Therese's little way. By love, in love, and for love. One moment. Hold on just a minute. Okay, we're good. <clears throat> One could well approach these spiritually avarice with our approach, which the prophet made to the temporarily avarice. Quote, What do you want, poor men? You want to have, excuse me, this is the prophet uh, uh, admonishing the avarice. What do you want, poor men? You want to have this mansion now because you say it faces yours? After that, there will be another which adjoins it. And because it is convenient for you, you will want that one too. This will go on and on. What? Do you want to become the sole master of the entire earth with no one but yourself owning property? End quote. From Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. Please consider the spiritually avarice. They are never content with the spiritual exercises presented to them. If they think of chartreuse, they say, that indeed is a holy life. But they never preach. One must preach then. The life of the Jesuit fathers may be filled with perfection, but they do not have the blessing of solitude from which one receives so much consolation. See, there's a criticism no matter where you go. The Capuchins, as well as all religious orders, are very good, but they do not have everything that such people are looking for, namely the spiritual exercises of all mixed together into one. They ceaselessly struggle to find new ways of joining the sanctity of all the various saints into the one they would like to have. As a result, they are never content since they cannot possibly embrace all they hope to. Whoever embraces too much and changes themselves therein, they would always want to wear a hair shirt, take the discipline. Pray continually on bare knees, live in solitude, and God knows what else. Still, this would not satisfy them. You poor people, you who do not want anyone to be holier than yourselves, you are not satisfied with the available sanctity that gained not by making such a mul- that um, that gained not by making such a multiplicity of exercises but by practicing well and as perfectly as possible those to which your condition and your vocation oblige you. I know I'm trying to talk through the music for our next break to finish. Beloved, you are welcome to call in toll free 1-877-511-5483 and we'll be right back.
2: The Catholic Current, on the Station of the Cross, Catholic Radio Network. These were the men and women of genius and heroism. We have to look at these men and women and see what it was in them that made them such giants of history. And we will discover that it was nothing other than the truths of eternal Catholicism. Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ.
1: to mother miriam live i got it right this time instead of saying heart to heart welcome back beloved i was just at the end of a paragraph on avarice and um that we could consider the spiritual uh, spiritually avarice to know um the characteristics of one who is avarice which is uh, not a virtue that will help us uh to become holy um and i was at the end, but I tried reading the the last of the paragraph while the music was playing. This is so important. Um, and it's the conclusion of St. Francis's fifth lesson to us. Let me just read this last paragraph before I take your calls and emails. He says, Please consider the spiritually avarice. They are never content with the spiritual exercises presented to them. If they think of chartreuse, they say... That indeed is a holy life, but they never preach. One must preach then. The life of the Jesuit fathers may be filled with perfection, but they, they do not have the blessing of solitude from which one receives so much consolation. The Capuchins, as well as all religious orders, are very good, but they do not have everything that such people are looking for, namely the spiritual exercises of all mixed together into one. They, they the avarice, the spiritually avarice, they ceaselessly struggle to find new ways of joining the sanctity of all the various saints into the one they would like to have. As a result, they are never content, since they cannot possibly embrace all they hope to. Whoever embraces too much enchains himself therein." <clears throat> I've met such examples, dear ones, and it's it's a terrible life. They would always want to wear a hair shirt, take the discipline, pray continually on bare knees, live in solitude, and God knows what else. Still, this would not satisfy them. You poor people, do you not want anyone to be holier than yourselves? You are not satisfied with the available sanctity that gained not by making such a multiplicity of exercises, but by practicing well and as perfectly as possible those to which your condition and vocation oblige you. Obedience. Enough cannot be, enough can be said about how much, I'm sorry, enough cannot be said about how much this spiritual avarice impedes perfections since it takes away the sweet and tranquil attention we might, we ought to have in doing well what we do for God, as I have already said. I tell you, I, in my mind, never was there such a soul with such holiness. To be holy is not to be perfect, it's to be set apart from the world, set apart unto God. Never in my heart that I have met was there anyone as insightful as this St. Francis de Sales. He is so remarkable that God uh, shines a mirror into my soul through St. Francis de Sales. It's quite, quite, quite magnificent. Now we shall go to your calls and your emails and your texts. And again, the toll-free number, we have a... A half hour to ourselves, minus uh, uh, three minutes. <laughs> um, and the toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three. 877 And you can email at that number. You can text at that number. And the email is mother at the station of the dot com. We have an email from Greg who says, There's this guy I know that I often have conversations with about politics and world events. He likes to make arguments using the what would Jesus do, WWJD, what would Jesus do. That, that's come from the Protestant world. It's not a bad question. And if you've been in Christian bookstores, you'll see bracelets and, and necklaces and pictures and everything WWJD, what would Jesus do. He says he likes to make arguments using the what would Jesus do approach. I don't like this phrase because I think it is impossible for, for us to know for sure what Jesus would do in specific situations. I agree with you, Greg. I mean, even if I think of what Jesus would do, I read what St. Francis says, St. Francis de Sales, and I'm not even up to what he would do. So how can I know for sure what Jesus would do? And Greg says, the best I can do, the best I think I can do is consider what Jesus and the church teach us to do and try to apply that to our lives. What do you think of what do you think of this WWJD argument? You know what, I wouldn't counter it at all. I wouldn't counter it. When you think the be- the best thing you can do is think of what Jesus and the church teach us to do, that's what Jesus would do. He does it by his words, he does it by his examples, he does it through his church. So I wouldn't counter WWJD because um if, if, you, if someone says, what would Jesus do? You could say to them, well, I could tell you what I think he would do. I'm not God, but I, as he is, but I could tell you what he, I think he would do by his life on earth, by his ministry, by his teachings, and the teachings of the scriptures through the church. I would answer that way, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fuss about it. I would give it an opportunity to say, well, I don't know exactly what he'd do because he's God, and he has surprised us many times in scripture but um, I I can guess what he would do by his life on earth and his teachings. We have an email from Barbara who says, When we receive the Eucharist, I know that we are united to those around the world who are members of the body of Christ, and also with those who have gone before us in death, who are in heaven and purgatory. That's good. But can we say that we are also united with those not yet born, who will become members of the body of Christ in the future. I don't think so, Barbara, because members of Christ are those who are baptized. Those not yet born, um, if they they haven't come into existence, they don't exist. If they're in their mother's womb and not yet born, they've not been baptized. So when we speak of members of the body of Christ, we're speaking of those who are baptized. And so it would not include the baby in the mother's womb. And for that reason, I um, I really agonize at times over parents who give birth, a mother who gives birth. And I just got an email that uh, the baptism for a particular baby born is going to be about five weeks after the birth. Because they want to wait for a special occasion until the family can be there and all that. Why would you put your child's life in danger for five weeks? I tell you what, I would have that baby baptized in the hospital. As soon as that baby is born, I would not wait. You can always have a baptism party later. But why anyone realizing what baptism is would wait even a month, even a week? I I wouldn't. I don't know why anybody would who really believes the faith that apart from baptism, there's no heaven. I, I, that doesn't mean God is not above those things. St. Augustine said, we are bound by the sacraments. God is not. But um, And someone will say, you mean to tell me a little baby before he's baptized? If he's not baptized, he's going to hell? No, I don't mean to tell you that. But I do mean to tell you that we cannot know he'll be in heaven. We cannot know that. Um, outside of baptism, there's no salvation. We need to know that. We must be baptized. And so we can we can pray, we can think, uh, but we cannot be sure. We have a question from Joe uh, from Facebook, and Joe says, why did Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? And what exactly does this mean? It sounds like it would have been more accurate to call himself son of God. Well, in fact, Joe, Jesus did call himself the son of God. He is the son of God, but he is just as much the son of man. He needs us to know that he's fully human, that he was born of man, that he took flesh and blood from the Virgin Mary and um, the flesh. And blood that we receive at the Eucharist at every Mass is that flesh and blood of our Lord, given to Him by the Blessed Mother. Um, and of course, now our Lord is risen and glorified. What we receive at every Mass is the risen, glorified Christ in His flesh and blood. He's a 100% God and a 100% man. Not 50-50, not 80% God, 20% man, A 100% of both. It's very important to know that he's the son of man. When when um, Matthew wrote his gospel, he wrote it for his Jewish people, too, that they would understand that Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, uh, right through... Um, Um, Judah, the tribe of Judah and the family of David, all of that he traced it, but when Luke wrote his gospel, Luke is the gospel that most describes the humanity of our Lord, which is why the genealogy uh, goes all the way back to Adam because Jesus is the son of man, and in fact it was prophesied in Daniel and I'm going to read you that little portion of Daniel 7, I'm looking it up, hold on verse 13 says in the prophecy of Daniel's night visions he said I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him I tell you beloved I get sick when I read this this is the revised standard version Catholic edition online it makes my heart sick the scriptures say I saw one like a son of man not like a human being The translation is, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, because that's how we're going to see our Lord, as the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven when he returns. I just can hardly stomach that they've got inclusive language in here, one like a human being, how awful that is. He is the son of man. Um... Okay, oh, we need to go back to our faith, our full faith, full meaning, not be afraid um, to call human being men mankind. we not need not to be afraid of that we 're giving in to such a degraded culture. It really bothers me, okay um We have another question from somebody who writes in anonymously on Facebook who writes, the church says that Sunday is a day of rest and we should avoid servile labor. That's true. If I attend vigil mass for a Sunday or other holy day of obligation, does the requirement to not work apply after I get out of church that evening or not until the actual holy day? It does. Also, can servile labor include desk work as well as manual labor? Yes. Yes, yes, yes to everything. Yes to everything. The idea of servile labor we go to mass even if we don't go to mass Saturday night. People go to mass Saturday night. It was it was it was an exception in the Novus Ordo only. Um, for those who couldn't get to Mass on Sunday. And, of course, Saturday night Masses now are more crowded than Sunday Masses because people go to get their, I hate the expression, Sunday obligation over so that they could be free on Sunday to shop and do all other things. That's not what God wants. Sunday begins at Vigil Saturday night, whether or not you go to Mass. Even if you stay home, it's Sunday, beginning with Vigil Saturday night. It's Sunday and you should spend Saturday night studying, singing together at home, being a family, preparing for Sunday's Mass. That's what you should do. And the stores and everything should be closed. That's what I think. So there. All right. There's the music for our last break. And we'll have a, another section, a segment when we come back. And you'll have time to call in. Our lines are wide open. one 511 5483. We'll be right back, beloved.
3: Hi, this is Jim Wright, president of the Station of the Cross. Our 2020 Spring Appeal is officially underway. Please consider a sacrificial donation to help us spread the gospel. The theme of our appeal is Changing Lives in 2020. In the coming weeks, you may receive a mailing that shows the great gifts you can receive as a Spring Appeal donor. You can also view the gifts by visiting thestationofthecross.com. Your generosity will help us develop our programming, expand our outreach efforts, and continue to grow. To support our mission, please call 1-877-711-8500, 1-877-711-8500, or go to thestationofthecross.com. Use the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or use a return envelope from one of our mailings. Your support will change lives in your community and beyond.
1: Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. Um, and we have a good 10 minutes, and our lines are wide open, so feel free to call in with anything on your heart. I'll do the best I can to answer. I don't always have the answers, but we usually have a resource for you to go to to get them. And the toll-free number to call or text is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at com. <clears throat> I'm looking at a number of emails, beloved, that I know we won't get through today, but we will get to them first thing Monday morning, I promise you. Well, if Jesus doesn't return in the creek, don't rise, okay. Um, We have a question here from an email from Christian who says, would you please talk about the Catholic concept of no salvation outside the church? There are those who seem to think that everyone can be saved if they only love Jesus or if they are just a good person. How can I explain that this is wrong? Also, would it be correct to say that anyone who is not a Catholic and in a state of grace is doomed to damnation? Okay. No salvation, to begin with, um, those who think that everyone can be saved if they only love Jesus or if they're a good person, has not read Scripture. They've just not read Scripture, and they're not Christian if they think that's the way of salvation, because we're all born into original sin. All of us have sinned. All of us deserve death. Romans chapter 3, you can you read it over and over and over again. And when the young rich man asked our Lord, good master, what do I need to do to obtain eternal life? Jesus looked at him and said, why are you calling me good? Who is good but God? Nobody is good but God. Do you realize I'm God? Is that why you call me good? You see, you can do good things, you can feel good, but you can't be saved by being a good person uh, because you're a sinner. Everyone is a sinner, and we need uh, a Savior to be saved. So apart from Him, apart from giving your life to Him, there's no salvation uh there is no other name acts chapter four there's no other name under heaven but jesus christ uh under whom under by which we must must be saved to just love Jesus but i love jesus well maybe you do and maybe you don't um jesus had a lot of people come to him in matthew chapter seven and lord let us in we love you we did this we did that we did that and jesus said depart from me i never knew you he said if you love me you would keep my commandments you see and um, uh, to keep his commandments, beloved, is to be part of his one holy Catholic and apostolic church, outside of which there is no salvation. That is a doctrine that came out of, I might be wrong if it's Florence or Trent, but Trent, um, uh, I I have to look it up, I'm sorry, but it's it's a dogma of the church, it's not passé, Uh, It is true, um, especially when Martin Luther left the church and took millions with him, um, and they were devastated they left the catholic church and the, the, the church was telling them if you you deny the pope you deny the eucharist you deny the sacraments you make them into your own thing what you think they do or should do you are your old, own sole interpreter of scripture you're not in obedience to the church you're apart from it all then there's no salvation for you and that's exactly right because they left the bark of Peter. They left the means of salvation that God gave. In Israel's day, if a Jew said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't like what's going on. There's too much sin within Israel. The golden calf and all that. I'm, I'm leaving the people. I'm going to do my own thing. I love God more than you all do. Well, he could leave because of the sin in Israel. He could do his own thing, but in that day, he would be put to death. Um, as Aaron's sons were put to death for doing their own thing and offering strange fire. You may be holier so to speak, uh, than anyone in Israel. But if you left, you'd be put to death. There would be no salvation for you. The same thing in the Catholic Church. God has founded his one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which he promised to lead into all truth until the end of time that the gates of hell will not prevail against. If we need assurance of that, we've got it today with all the debauchery, not just in the world, but more so in the church going on prelates, hierarchy, uh, abandoning the faith and abandoning the faithful by the day, if not by the hour. It's awful. All that's going on. But it is the church. And if we leave it, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. Now, that said, the catechism says, now if you're Catholic and you're not in a state of grace, there's no salvation for you either. Because if you're if you're in mortal sin and you haven't gone to confession for forgiveness, then you are damned because of your own choice. Does it matter that you were baptized? Does it matter that you had all the sacraments? If you turn from God in mortal sin and you die before you've been to confession, then you are damned by your own choice. Um, now, the Catechism also teaches that um, that someone uh, who how do I, I should look it up, someone um, uh, who by their own fault, who, who not by their own fault does not know, whoever by their own fault does not know, in other words, I'm saying it backwards, whoever does not know that the Catholic Church is the Church, I came into Protestantism. I never knew the Catholic Church at all. And when I first learned of it, I learned it was the whore of Babylon and and Satan's system. So that was my introduction to the Catholic Church. Am I accountable for not being Catholic? No. Will I be saved if I live up to the grace God has given me? That's what the Catechism teaches, that someone outside the Catholic Church who does by their own fault they don't know, they're not faulted for not knowing the truths of the Catholic Church, but they live up to the grace God has given them, not that they will be saved, but they can be saved. So if I, as an evangelical for 18 years, lived up to the grace God did give me, would I be saved? No, no telling that, but I could be saved. That would be between God and what he sees of my soul. But the fact is, if we're open for God, if we're open for the truth, if we want him above all else, then he will lead us to the Catholic Church. He did that to me. No no fault of mine, but he did that by his grace. So if someone doesn't know the truth of the Catholic Church and they are in a state of grace and they live the grace of God, whether they're Christian or not, Jew, atheist, anyone, and they live up to the grace of God, God has given them, that means that they're going to be moving toward God. And at the point of death, God can do whatever god does he's god and if they say yes to them yes to him then they can be saved if they're in a state of grace if they're not they're not going to say yes to god and so we don't make any assumptions but we know that people outside of the physical catholic church can be saved if they're in a state of invincible ignorance they don't know they're ignorant um, but they can be saved because what they know they've lived up to and again, if they live up to it, God will leave them further. But it is for sure that if they are saved at the last, they are in the Catholic Church, outside of which there is no salvation. St. Julian Amard said, apart from the Eucharist, which comes from the Catholic Church, apart from the Eucharist, the world would not exist. Nothing exists apart from Christ, and he is the head of his church. They are not broken or segregated or separated the church and Christ are one the church is the whole Christ body and soul head and members there's our music beloved and our weekend is before us so I wish you a most beautiful weekend and again um, it's going to be our third Sunday in Lent and no matter how you've spent it before don't give up and if you have given up just start again. God will never fault you for starting again. He may fault you for not starting again. So have a wonderful weekend, beloved, and we'll speak with you on Monday.